Thank you guys for leading us into worship today. Great job as always. If you have your Bibles today, turn to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. <clears throat> We're going to finish up our series in Malachi today. Uh, and the question that's been rolling around in my mind all week is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? I, it we're going to talk about that in relation to church today, but we talk about that in every area of our life. You know, it, 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 when we're making decisions, we make a decision a lot of times and we wonder, was this worth it or not? Uh, so before we make decisions, it's normal for us as human beings to do a cost-benefit analysis. If I make this decision, is it going to be <clears throat> worth it? If I live this life, is it going to be worth it? We think that when I go out to eat at a fancy restaurant... To be honest, and my kids, where we were raised, my kids one time we went to a Mexican, one of those Mexican restaurants where all of the menus are the same, regardless of where you're at in the United States. We went to one of those restaurants, and, and my kids said, oh, Dad, thank you for taking us to a fancy restaurant today. You can kind of tell I'm just a little bit tight, maybe. But if I go to a place, and, and I order a steak, and, and I look at the price, and I see what I've paid, and after I eat it, I think, man, I could have spent like one-tenth of this and went to Taco Bell. Do you ever do that? Do you ever think like, you know, was my education worth it? You know, I spent $200,000 to get a $50,000 a year job. Was it worth it? You know, are, are clothes worth it when you buy it? You know, right now I've got teenager, teenage girls, and you know how important labels are for teenage girls, and they buy stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, is it worth it? Now, I'm not immune to this. Uh, four years ago, <clears throat> My, our church did a, uh, a day where we gathered together at 8 o'clock in the morning. We all worshiped together, and then we spent the rest of the day serving our community. And we called it B-Mobile and kind of off of T-Mobile, you know, and we were uh, made up shirts and everything. Well, I had one of those shirts. kind of looked like the Hope Live shirts a little bit that you see out there in the foyer. Uh, I had one of those shirts, and at, up to that point in my life, I'd never wore a pair of jeans to church in my life. And so <clears throat> I, I had on my kind of dress slacks with one of those T-shirts. And, you know, it just didn't look real good. And my wife said, Nick, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't wear that. And, and so I, she said, everybody else is going to have on jeans in their T-shirt. Why don't you do that, Nick? And so I thought, well, I would, but all my jeans have like paint on them or something. I, at that time, I, didn't, I wore Dockers almost every day. I didn't wear jeans hardly ever. And so I thought, I don't have any to wear. And so she said, Nick, go buy yourself a pair of jeans. Well, I'd always bought kind of like Levi's or pretty durable jeans or something like that. And so I went to get me a pair of jeans. I go to the store. I think it was Penny's or somewhere. I go to the store, and the jeans that I thought were going to be like 20 bucks were $45.99. And I thought, is it worth it? Well, I looked and looked and finally found a pair that fit me, which is getting tougher and tougher. And I found this pair of jeans. I was walking out, dreading, spending $45.99 plus tax. And I look, and it was a God vision, I thought. On the way out, there were a pair of jeans, another brand. I won't name the name, but they were $19.99 for two. <laughs> and the first pair I looked at was my size. 
And so I bought them, and I was walking out proud, and I was telling my girls how smart I was compared to them. And I started wearing those jeans sometimes to church, not every Sunday, but sometimes I would wear them. They had a pair that looked a little dressier than the other, and I would wear them. I started wearing them a lot because I was like, they're comfortable. This is good. And so one day I was at the Christian County Hopkinsville basketball game. Now, y'all might not know those terms. That's far western part of the state, big rivalry both really good basketball programs. And I mean, there was probably 2,500 people at this high school district championship basketball game. And I walk in and I'm going to watch a couple of our kids who are involved in cheerleading and in in sports. And so I, I look up and I spot a little area that I can sit in and it's really crowded. And if I walked up the steps, I was going to have to cross over like 10 people, but there was a path. You know, if you go into a high school gym, there's a path that you can kind of climb up the two steps. Well, I start jumping up those steps in my new pair of jeans. Yeah, rip. And it wasn't just a little rip. It was a rip all the way around. Well, fortunately, I had a hoodie on, and they were into the game, and I pulled that hoodie down, and I sat there and cheered like a Baptist at a basketball game, you know. (laughs) Yay! And... And when there was about seven seconds left to go in the game, I slipped out (laughs) the best I could. And fortunately, I think I made it out with anybody noticing it. But I promise you, the whole time I was sitting there, I was asking the question, was that worth it? (laughs) I wish I'd have spent that 25 extra dollars uh, at that point. You know, the hard thing about decisions is it often takes time before you realize you made the right one or not. True? It is hard on the front end sometimes to know, have I made the right decision? Spiritually, people ask the question, is it worth it all the time? They, they, they wonder, is it worth coming to church? Is it worth God? Is it worth giving my resources? denying some worldly pleasures. Is it worth telling my kids no? Is it worth being a Christian? Now, obviously, you're going to guess where I'm going with this. I believe the answer is, well, yes, it's worth it. Of course, it's worth it. But it might take you some time to see the value. It might take some time before you realize how worth it it is. And that's where the rub comes this morning. It's the waiting period that's the tough thing. It's, it's that time where we're waiting to see if it's worth it that's so hard for us. And, and it's this period of, of waiting that we agonize over and we ask ourselves, is this really worth it? Now, this is the question that's being asked in the last section of Malachi. And apparently the people have been asking for some time, is it really worth serving God? That's why they quit bringing their best. That's why they quit marrying people who believed. That's why they quit investing their resources. That's why they quit honoring God with all they had because they were wondering, is it really worth that type of dedication? Now, apparently... This is not an Old Testament question. We ask the same thing spiritually. We might not want to admit it, but sometimes we ask this. If you've gone to church all your life and you've heard the same sermons, the same Bible stories, if you've heard all of this all your life, you probably start thinking, why am I wasting a 70-degree day in February? Is it worth it? 
Or if you sacrifice financially, you know, every week, even though you didn't have much, you gave financially and you see other people going on vacation and you're going to the park, you start wondering, is it worth it? Or you faithfully help me, God protect me from my enemies, God keep bad things from happening to my family, and then you start going through hardships, is it worth it? Or you see your loved ones suffer, you know, why'd God let this happen? Why am I even trying? Why? And then to rub salt in our spiritual wounds, we see people who don't care about God, who don't love God at all, and they seem to be prospering, and we wonder, is this really worth it? Man in the neighborhood, time for God at all. He's not struggling. The promotion you wanted at work goes to a cheat? You know, the, is it worth it? Now, I'm not sure it's wrong to ask that question or not. That's not the issue of the day. But I know this. In Malachi 3, they've moved from asking a question to making a definitive statement. There was this widespread movement among the people in Malachi's day of saying, it is a complete waste of time to follow. And we pick up in verse 13. God says, Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. (laughs) You you ask, what have we spoken against you? And and you're going to see God's pretty ticked off. He's annoyed that they moved from, from wondering, is it worth it, to condemning him and saying, no, it's not worth it. God says, you've said it's useless to serve God. You you say, what have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord? And then listen to what he says. So now, or listen to what the people are saying. It's a waste of time to follow God. We're not gaining anything. So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. And not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they test God and escape. So why in the world are we Given up so much to follow God. Now there was another group who saw the same things and they were wondering why they were happening as well. But despite the accusations, they continued to fear the Lord. You know, I really don't know what caused this division in the people. Maybe these guys had been faithful all along. Maybe there was a revival or something that happened. I heard these people disparaging God and they said, no, 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 that's not God. But the Bible says, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Now, the, word, the phrase fear the Lord is strange for us because we love the Lord. You know, fear to us is that's not healthy in a relationship with the Lord. Well, part of our misunderstanding is our use of fear in the Old Testament use of fear is completely different. The Old Testament use of fear had more to do with love and respect we fear the Lord in, in, in that we acknowledge that there is this great big God and he's above us and, and we respect him as God. And this group said, I'm not going to apologize for the Lord. He's a great God. He's worthy of all my prayers. I'm not going to continue to talk bad about him. He's been faithful. And I love what this, those who fear spoke to one another. Okay? The, the, they started talking to one another and they said, hey, all these accusations that are flying around about God, they don't pass the smell test. And then the Lord took note. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh for his name. 
Now, to understand this, you need to understand in the ancient Near East, kings would often have books written about people who did great things during their reign. Uh, in the book of Esther, if you remember the king who gets insomnia in the book of Esther, he starts reading the books of good deeds that happened in his reign, and that's how Mordecai is brought before him and saves the Jewish people. If you don't know that story, it's a great read sometime, the book of Esther. Uh, but, but that was a practice in their day that the king would say, write down what has been done while I've been ruling so that when, when I want to, I can refer back to it and, and reward them. Well, God apparently has at this time uh, uh, the angels in heaven, the scribes in heaven, whoever, and he says, write down what's going on. I want people to remember forever that when everybody else was checking out on me, there were a few who remained faithful. The next few verses, God starts talking about how he's going to reward their acts. And, and we're not going to put this on the screen. We're going to do a little Bible study for those of you who have your Bible. In the end of chapter 3 through about verse 3, there is a word starting in about verse 17 through all the rest of chapter 4. There's a word that appears eight times. the word day, in that day, the day of the Lord, on that day. The phrase day of the Lord is introduced here as a reminder that God's going to make things right in the future. God is reminding them and in turn he's reminding us that sometimes it takes time to prove that it's worth it. Is God watching what's going on in your life? You betcha he's watching. Is he on his throne recording what is happening to the to those who love him, absolutely, he's recording what's happening to those who love him. Is he going to acknowledge that? Yes, he is. When will he do it? On his day. In the day of the Lord. A couple things will become clear on that day. Number one, God's love for his people will be clear. Notice what he says in verse 17 of chapter 3. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm never going to let them go. You will see on that day that the Lord has chosen you out of all his peoples. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day that I'm preparing. Now, this was a reference to the practice of kings in the Old Testament. Even though they had incredibly great wealth, they had things that were special to them. And that's no different than us, is it? You go over to somebody's house who's got like a, a mansion of a house, and you're awed by the expanse. They've got nine bedrooms, two swimming pools, a movie theater inside, marble everywhere, beautiful expanse, scenery, amazing. You're in awe of their, their possession. But then you come in, and you're looking around like this, and they say, come here, come here, come here. And they take you and show you an old worn-out baseball glove. I, this is my ball glove from when I was in high school. And then they have trophies or they have deer heads or something like that. They've got all of this grandeur, but yet they have this special something in their house that they can't wait to show off. Our God owns the universe. Our God is in control of all things. And yet, if he were to show off his prized possession, he would hold up his people. He loves us. We are his treasure. And God says, you are my special possession. Now, you might not feel like it right now. 
You might not even look like it right now, but I promise you one day God's going to show you off. One day he's going to say, they are mine. And Malachi 3 verse 18 says, so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. You see the connection now? Man, is it worth it? Bad people are getting ahead. Good people are struggling. But one day you'll know the difference. One day you will be able to tell. One day wrong. Those who've done righteous deeds, those who are righteous in Christ, will be rewarded. Will happen on that day. God's judgment will come to all men. Let's move into chapter 4 now. For indeed the day is coming. The day is coming. There's a couple of things wrapped up in this. Number one, every person will stand before God. In your arrogance, that, in our arrogance, in the world's arrogance that we are accountable to no one, God says there is coming a day where everyone will stand before me. In that day, you will give an account. This will happen either when a person dies, the Bible appointed for man wants to die, and after this the judgment, or it will occur when that great day comes and everyone is instantly standing before the Lord. But there will be an end time accounting. And with the thought of the day of the Lord, we have to remind ourselves that not everything is settled right now. The complaint is, how can God let bad people get away with bad stuff? And the answer is, he's not. He just hadn't settled all of his accounts yet. There's coming a day when the wicked will be judged. That's what Malachi says. For indeed, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The wickedness and the arrogant, they will be judged. uses this imagery of burning like a fiery furnace. Uh, Obviously, their furnaces were not like ours. They were brick-lined, and the heat would rise to extremely hot temperatures. And they used those furnaces to, to, to harden bricks and pottery. And, and, and the Bible says that those who are thrown into this furnace will become stubble, like a field that has lost all of its life, or a crop that's set on fire in the fall when it's so dry. The next time you think it looks like the wicked are winning, remember, they're going to become stubble. And listen to what he says. And that day will consume them. They will be completely consumed. Everything they have will be gone. And then he says in the next phrase, they will have not even a root. There's no hope of getting better. Today. Now, I believe that this is a reference to hell. That there is coming a time that those who do not cling to Jesus and trust in his righteousness for their righteousness will be separated from God in a sinner's hell. And you might say, in our modern mind, wants to say, how could God be so harsh? And I would say he has to be. Because if he were not harsh, there would be no justice. Imagine if you have a daughter. This is not a hard stretch for me. And that daughter was kidnapped and then brutalized. 
She was taken hostage and forced to do things against her will that I cannot and will not imagine. And then they sold tapes of what they did to your daughter. They made money off of harming your child. But then they step and they were but your daughter died. And then the judge who was try, uh, who was overseeing the case gave a $50 fine to that criminal and he paid it and walked away. Where's the justice in that? God's name has been mocked. His laws have been laughed at. His existence has been denied. His goodness has been questioned. And his son was sent and crucified. And when I think in those terms, a fiery furnace doesn't seem real extreme. Now there's more to that day that's coming than just punishment of the wicked. Those who fear Notice verse 2. For you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise. I don't know about y'all, but I have the winter blues. I feel so good today because the sun came out. There's promise of 69 degrees. Hope of a golf course with my name on a T-sheet. There is... A good-looking day tomorrow. And every day that's good now means that we're moving towards spring. And, man, I love that. I love when the sun comes out and when the Bible describes that day. That, 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 that It says it's like a day when the sun is shining, when, when, when the soul is refreshed, when you have a sense of well-being. And on that day, it will be crystal clear that... that that, that those things in life that are broken will be restored because on that day there will be healing in that day's wings. And then I love verse 2. There's, I mean, Malachi must have been from Kentucky because he says, and you will go out and you'll playfully jump like calves from the stall. Now, that's not the imagery of heaven most people have. You know, today I was thinking about this as I was driving up here. As I was on 75 almost to Williamstown or just past Williamstown, there's a cattle farm on the right and some cows were on the ridge. And as I was driving here, it was almost like the Lord just winked at me. And there was four or five calves jumping in front of and playing. And there's so much energy, so much joy. Now the older calves are just kind of beat down. Our cows were just beat down, but the calves are so alive. And he says, that's what that day's going to be like. You're going to be like a calf that's so alive and so excited and so uh, curious. It, it's going to be joyful. You know, heaven's hard to describe, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. That's what, it's not how I would tell it to my kids. Man, you're going to jump around like cows. You know, I mean, that's not, <laughs> but it's just hard to describe. I mean, the Bible says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart and mind of man that which God has prepared for those who love him. I used to tell my kids we would do a little exercise when they were about four and seven. What do you think heaven's like? And then invariably it was like Disneyland, you know. <laughs> but, but I would tell them, if you can imagine it, it's better. Whatever you can think about, it's better. On that day, 
It will be amazing. And then he says, You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I'm preparing. Yeah, I know it seems like they're winning now, but one day it won't seem like that, and it will be worth it. Now, I understand why people who don't call themselves Christians scoff at us. They don't believe. I get that. But what I don't understand is why do people who say they believe fall away? Why do they get to the point where they think that following God is not worth it? Let me give you a couple reasons that I've kind of tried to figure out. They desire immediate gratification. You know, we have trouble waiting on the microwave in our society, much less the promises of God. We live in a society that believes if it's not worth it now, it'll never be worth it. When you go to church and you don't get a good report card or your kids act out or you don't get good news from the doctor or you get passed over from a, for a promotion or your parents seem harsh or whatever, well, God, I'm trying and I, you know, it didn't work 10 minutes after I went to church. How, where are you at, God? We want immediate gratification and we give up. God does not work on our calendar. There is a payday someday, but I don't set that date. A second reason that I think people might give up is we have inaccurate expectations. Many people have started following Christ with the understanding, if you follow Jesus, you will have a bigger bank account, he'll heal all your sicknesses, your kids will never misbehave, your job will always be secure, and your dog will never mess inside the house. You know, that's kind of the expectation I think that people have. I'm following you, God. How come this is... You know, Jesus, and, and, and honestly, I, I'm not even going to blame the people in, who sit in other pews. I'm going to blame the guys who are standing on the stage in the spotlight because we have peddled a prosperity, Jesus. Give to Jesus and he'll give you what you want. And we've peddled a, a healer, Jesus. Follow Jesus and he'll heal you every time you ask. And if he doesn't, it's because you didn't have enough. Yeah. Are we, are we peddling good luck, Jesus? You know, he'll bail you out when you're in trouble. You know, keep a little Jesus in your pocket and you'll get away with stuff. You know, or, or we peddle a tickle me, Jesus, you know, who, who gives you this warm feeling once a week and in a real pinch, maybe he'll, he'll be there for you. But most of these start with, you feel bad, pray a prayer and all will be well. And when he doesn't turn out to be what people have expected, people abandon ship. What's confusing to me is where do these nuts get this stuff? I mean, honestly, have they not read their Bible and listened to Jesus? Let me tell you what Jesus said. For those of you who are a little confused and maybe don't like that type of terminology, let me tell you what the Savior who hung on the cross said. He said, follow me and they will persecute you like they persecuted me. He said, follow me and they will hate you. Read your New Testament. He said, they'll hate you because they hated me. He said, I carried my cross. Now you carry yours. He talked about treasure. But what treasure did he talk about? Treasure in heaven. The problem is there's a wide gap between the American dream and the Christ life. And somehow, some way, we have 
bought into thinking that God owes us this dream. God owes no man nothing. Owes no man nothing. Y'all know what I'm trying to say? Americans expect the story of Malachi to end. Those who fear God lived happily for the rest of their life and their interest rates went down and their oppressors left and they lived long and they prospered. I want to tell you, these people would not experience an easing situation in their lifetime. In fact, it'd get much worse. The Romans came in and crushed them. They levied incredible taxes on them. This is 400 years. Last I checked, there's been very few people who've lived that long years until Jesus shows up. Why did they hang on? Let's, let's wrap this up. Why did they hang on? They hung on because they believed in God and they believed that God was good. And that's what keeps us hoping. When we get a bad report, I believe in God. Might not happen this day, but it'll happen one day. Money is, you know, I hope for more, but I'm not going to give up on God if more doesn't come. When come, I hope they go away just like you hope they go away. I don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, give it to me. I don't do that. I pray for ease just like you pray for ease. But if it doesn't come and the sovereign of the universe doesn't allow that, the path of my life, I don't shake my fist at God and say, I'm done! Because I believe there's a better day coming. My chips are not all invested in this life. I've shoved all in at the house. And I've staked my life on the fact that he gave his life for me. So what should you take away from today? Number one, I would tell you, be careful who you listen to. There are going to be people out there who think they know better and who are going to disparage God. And they're going to make these intellectual, philosophical arguments of it's not worth it. I love the fact those who feared the Lord, what did they do? Spoke to one another. Be careful who you listen to. Make sure you listen to people who believe that God is good and that there's coming a day. And then I would encourage you to trust God completely. You know, this image struck me this week. There's a book of names talked about here in Malachi. The Bible says in Revelation there's a book of deeds where every person's deeds are written in heaven. I don't know if that is imagery or if that's exactly the way it is. But the Bible is teaching us that God knows everything that's ever happened in the account of humanity. But when I thought about the book of deeds that we've done, I thought about another book that's talked about in the book of Revelation. And it's the Lamb's book of life. It's the book of those who are really going to go to heaven when they die. And the book of Revelation teaches the only ones whose names are in that book of life are those who have trusted in the Christ, who sacrificially died on the cross once and for all so that we could be saved. Malachi is the end of the Old Testament. 
And God is big and God is powerful and God is good in the Old Testament. But man in the Old Testament is not good. And man is powerless and they need a Savior. And so God sends a Savior. He sends His Son. We want justice for sinners. I agree. But I am glad that God recognized you can't pay your own price and survive. And so he he sent Christ to be the one who would pay my price and make God just and set me free and make me whole. Have you trusted that Christ? Do you know you're forgiven? Do you know you're his treasure? Pray that you do. Father, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in this time of reflection and invitation. I pray that decisions would be made that would honor you. And God, I ask, Lord, if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, I pray, God, that you would do a miracle today. And in their heart, you would move them from unbelief to belief that they would see their sin is wrong and would repent in their arrogance and their philosophical pride God break them of that and help them trust in your cross and help them to believe that you are good and holy and just and, and God I pray that they would see you're merciful as well God I ask that you would honor yourself today this time of invitation in Jesus' name.